Hello. <laughs> We're going to be continuing this evening to work our way through the book of James, looking at the first little bit of chapter 3. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 to 12 to us, but let me pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth and for the way that it defines who we are as we learn more about who you are. And my prayer is that this evening, as I speak and as we spend time together, that you would reveal yourself to us. Amen. Is everyone in James chapter 3? Great. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Does anybody know how many words the average person speaks per day? The average person. 16,000. The average person speaks about 16,000 words per day. And if you factor in an average of seven hours sleep, which I know might seem like a goal for a lot of you, that's about 942 words per hour per day. And that's without including texting and emailing and blogging and talking to yourself and journaling, all of which also include words. We use words all the time. So really, it should be of no surprise to us that the word of God, this invitation to life as God designed it to be, includes some wisdom on how we use these words that we have. And back in James 1, for example, verses 19 to 20, which we looked at together a few Sundays ago, described that we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. In a few weeks, we'll look at James 5, verse 12, where he writes, Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. In 2 Timothy 2.16, Paul tells us that we should avoid irreverent babble. In Ephesians 4.29, he writes that we should let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. 
In Colossians 4, 6, he reminds us that our speech should always be gracious. In Proverbs 31, 26, Solomon writes that a godly woman opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. And here in the passage we're looking at tonight, James has some things to say about it as well. And in verses 1 to 2, James begins with a word of warning. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. James is specifically talking here about teaching in the church and warns us that we shouldn't rush into that kind of role. And the reason that teachers will be judged more strictly is because they have the capacity to do particular damage to the church with their words. The things we say as we teach here from the front and that we teach one another as Christians will either convey the truth or deny it. And James highlights it here as a particular issue in the church, but he's noting something general for all believers. We have to keep our tongues in check. And he adds that the person who's able to keep their tongue in check is able to keep their whole body in check. The word that he uses for perfect in this passage is not the same word that's used to describe someone who's without sin. It's actually the same word that he uses in chapter 1 to describe the person who is made mature or made complete through perseverance. It's about being refined and sanctified. He's reiterating the point that he makes in chapter 1, verse 26, that one of the marks of authentic Christian faith is that we keep a tight rein on our tongues. But why is that a mark of genuine faith? What does it mean to keep a tight rein on our tongues? There are a few things that I've been thinking about as I've been reading this passage and a few that I want us to think about tonight. And the first is this. Words are powerful. So let's look at verses 3 to 6 together. I'm going to read them for us again. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's light reading. Do you know how much horses weigh? I didn't either. On average, between 500 to 600 kilograms. The average man in the UK weighs 86.7 kilograms. But we climb onto their backs, and we move a little piece of rope, and they do what we tell them to do because of the piece of metal that we put into their mouths. The bit used by the rider can direct the whole horse. And it's the same thing with ships. The aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower, weighs over 91,000 tons, carries over 6,000 crew and nearly 100 aircraft, but the rudder that steers it is just a tenth of 1% of the ship's entire size. Something so comparatively small is able to maneuver something so huge. Or take a fire. A fire even thousands of acres in size can be started by just one small spark. A carelessly discarded cigarette or the spark from an engine 
the impact of a single moment can wipe out a whole region or whole lives. And James writes in this passage that it's the same with the tongue. These analogies are the ones that he uses to illustrate the power of words and the scale and the impact that they can have. You may have seen or heard about this before, but a few years ago, IKEA ran an ad campaign where they got students to speak either positive or negative words over two different plants. Did anybody see it? Okay. So they had one plant, and the students were told to speak only positive affirmation over this plant, and one plant where they were told to speak negative affirmation over the plant. After 30 days, the discovery IKEA made was that the plant that had been effectively bullied had withered and begun to die. Questionable science, maybe, but there have been studies done on humans too. A 2019 study by some American students found that verbal abuse from peers had real life effects on assertiveness, on whether or not people had trouble remembering appointments, people were more irritable. Some research from the University of California found that the more that we hear or read or speak a phrase, the more power it has over us because we learn through repetition. Their study found that a weak message repeated twice is more likely to be believed than a strong message spoken once. One repetition has the power to change our minds. Can you finish the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones? But words will never hurt me. We probably said it as children, but that catchy phrase is so far from the truth because we live in a world where words matter. They have the capacity to affect us enormously. The damage done by something that gets said can go far deeper and last for so much longer than damage done by sticks and stones on the playground. It's almost like God knows what he's talking about when he gives instructions about how to exist in the bodies and in the world that he created, being careful with our words. And like the disproportionate size of a rudder on a big ship compared to the impact it has, the effect of the things that we say on us and on the people around us are out of proportion to the size of our tongues in our bodies. A harsh word, maybe, to our parents or to a spouse, passive-aggressive comments, some gossip passed on in a whisper, a touch of exaggeration as we tell a story. It all seems so harmless at the time because a spark is such a small thing, and yet what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Chances are you can think of things you've said which have hurt somebody else. You'll be able to think of words that have been said to you that have impacted your whole life. The words which are spoken to us form our hearts. Growing up, I was quite clever, but I was way more interested in people than I was in academic success. But I was also interested in pleasing people, keeping them happy, which meant that I did devote quite a lot of time to schoolwork. I knew it was what people wanted, I knew it was what they expected me to do, and that they expected me to do well. But mostly, I wanted to do the schoolwork, which I knew I could do well, so that I could go out and do other things with the people that I loved. 
and as a result, often sped through my work after school, didn't give it all of my attention. And so, although I was top of my class the whole way through school, something I heard quite often was, you could have done a better job than this, or Alice, try harder, or my personal favorite, Mrs. Half a Job. It wasn't so much about the results I was getting, it was about the amount of work my parents felt like I was putting in. But those phrases led me to believe that I wasn't good enough. And that belief shaped me and has, over the years, influenced a lot about the way that I behave and that I communicate. And God has done a lot of work in me, through his spirit in me and through the words of other people. And I've put in an effort to remember the truth that in Jesus I am more than enough but it niggles its way in sometimes. It should have known better. It could have tried harder. Am I good enough for this? That's my wound, one of them. What's yours? What words have been spoken over you that impact the way that you behave and interact with yourself and with others? Where have you wounded someone else? Often I can try harder or do better, but for a long time I let myself be defined by my lack rather than by Jesus's completeness. But every day we operate a little bit more from our identities as children of God and a little bit less from the lies that we've believed. Just a few words, either deliberate and calculated or careless and accidental, and the result can be untold damage. Hearts formed by lies. I'm sure we can all think of careers that have toppled, marriages that have fallen apart, conflicts that have been started, decades of self-loathing that's been generated by a few uttered words where their power has been forgotten or deliberately misused. Words are powerful. And if our words are powerful, then how much more powerful is the word of God? And if God, through his word, gives so much insight and instruction on the way that we use words through direct instruction and through the life of Jesus, then that must be important. The way we use words is important. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We have trained dogs to paint, elephants to play football, dolphins to leap through hoops, parrots to sing karaoke. We've seen lions and tigers, animals raised to hunt and kill for food as pets. And it seems like given the right circumstances and the right amount of time, we can basically train any animal to do any given task, but not the tongue. We're reminded of that fact whenever we behave or we act out of a belief in a lie that's been spoken over us, or when we see someone powerful brought down by one word that they can't take back, spoken in just one unguarded moment. And the power of the tongue doesn't fade either. So many of our sinful desires change and they fade as we grow older and we mature and we acquire wisdom 
and our bodies physically change, but throughout the whole of our lives, with all its twists and its turns and its ups and its downs, from the cot to the grave, we say things to people. The tongue is one of the muscles of our bodies that we never fail to exercise. Words are powerful, and they hold the power to destroy. But also, they hold the potential for such greatness. When I was about 14 or 15, my brother and I had the same Spanish teacher. We were two years apart in school. Um, and I got on really well with her, and I remember her coming up to me one lunchtime. She said, in Spanish, but I won't do that now. Um, but she said, Alice, I just wanted to let you know that in your brother's lesson today, we were going around the table, and I asked them to, to share the person that they admired the most and why. And I wanted to let you know that your brother said that he most admires you, which is lovely. Um, probably not true anymore, because he's wonderful, but we live different lives. He's in London, and I don't like London. <laughs> um, but it was very nice at the time. And the words from that Spanish teacher and from my brother told me then that I was someone worth looking up to. And I wanted to continue to be someone that others were able to look up to, not because I like being the center of attention. I do not. But I do want to be someone that others can look up to because of the way that I reflect Jesus and because of the evidence in my life of a transformed heart and a genuine faith. Those words have impacted the way that I choose to live, driving me towards the example of Jesus so that I can be an example of him to others. Another story I want to tell you is about a car crash, not my own, but one which has had a significant impact on me. When I was maybe 11 or 12, we had a close family friend who was the first person on the scene of a big car crash, which wasn't too far away from where I lived. And two cars went into each other at a T-junction. And the car that got hit in the side had a family in it, the mum, a dad, brother and a sister, who were a couple of years younger than Joe and I. Um, and in the crash, the boy died. And I remember this family friend coming round, and he said to mum that the thing that got him the most is that the mother, as she watched her boy die, was the thing that she was screaming was, don't know if I told him I loved him today. And I remember that that broke my mum. And she sat Joe and I down. I remember it really clearly. And she said, if the last time you saw someone was the last time you saw them, would they know that you loved them? When you say goodbye, make sure you've communicated your love. And that conversation, without me realizing it, has formed so much of the way that I do friendship with people. It shaped my heart, because I want the people that I love to know that I love them, with my words and with my actions to the best of my ability. And I'll get it wrong sometimes, and I'll miss the mark. And much to my frustration, I can't control how other people feel all the time. I can't control how they experience my words or my actions. And I have to be careful, I have to put in healthy boundaries, I have to watch my, the motivation for my actions. But I will do what I can to show you that I love you. And I think that's broadly a positive thing. And I've learned through it that words are important. Words can wound. 
but words can also bring healing. They can damage, but they can build up. That is why the way that we use them is so important. So if we want to learn about how we should use words, who should we look to? Jesus, very good. It's Jesus who is the incarnate, living and breathing word of God. It's Jesus who is perfect in the sense of his sinlessness and of his maturity, his completeness. And if we're being shaped and transformed into people who look like him, and if that transformation is the mark of our true and genuine faith, then we need to learn from his example. So I'm going to read to you from Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Feel free to turn there. You don't have to. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Sounds like a compliment. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Wasn't a compliment. Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. And Jesus throughout the Gospels always seems to have just the right word for just the right time. He was intelligent and he was insightful. But his emotional intelligence is off the charts. He knows what each person is able to take as far as the way that he uses words with them. He knows when to rebuke, when to comfort, when to go easy on someone, when to not necessarily go easy on someone, when to teach and when to ignore and walk away. And the most impressive communicators I know, and I don't really mean preachers or speakers, I mean people who communicate with other people, the most impressive of those are the ones who have the ability to speak with and to engage lots of different kinds of people with lots of different personality types and lots of different levels of maturity at their level. And Jesus nails it. He is the master. In his kindness, he gives the people what they need even if they're not the words they think they want. With Jesus' words, he edifies or he teaches and challenges and he encourages with kindness. And as we work out of our faith, putting in effort but not striving to earn, we're quick to listen, we're slow to speak, and when we speak, we model our speech after Jesus' example and we speak with kindness. Kindness is the characteristic that Jesus demonstrates time and time again in the way that he uses words. And as we become more like him and are transformed into his likeness, we're called to be the same, kind, in the way that we speak to one another. That doesn't just mean nice. We can say nice things very unkindly. And we can and should say kind things that are challenging or which might be difficult for someone to hear. Being kind to somebody doesn't mean telling them what they want to hear. It means telling them what they need to hear. It means telling them the truth. And these things are difficult to do. 
And so important, it's so important to bear in mind relationships and timing and context. But even in the closest relationships, it's really difficult to always speak with kindness. James says as much himself in verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. Why is it so difficult to control these words that come out of our mouths? Let's look at verses 9 to 12. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. We've said it a few times now, so you might remember, but the book of James is effectively a commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to read you this passage from Luke 6, which is Luke's account of that sermon. In verse 43, Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. I didn't mean it so easily uttered after we say something we know was hurtful. But honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, we probably did mean it because the words that come out of our mouth come from somewhere much deeper within us. In the words of John Mark Comer, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. The things we speak out of our mouths, the words we choose to say and choose not to say, come out from the depths of our hearts. And if the two passages I just read sounded familiar, it's because James is reiterating Jesus' message. The words you say communicate your heart to the people you're speaking to. Maybe that's why it's so difficult to tame the tongue. It's our hearts speaking. And our hearts are imperfect and broken. Our tongues show us how inconsistent we can be. We've already been warned about being double-minded in James 1, where we're reminded that we so often try and live and think out of two different directions, God's way, and the way of the world. (coughs) Excuse me. And the tendency that we have to praise God while wounding the people that he's made is an example of that. It's really easy, most of the time, to go to a service on a Sunday morning and to sing praises to God, and usually, that's heartfelt. We believe we mean what we're saying and what we're singing. But maybe even moments after the service ends, we're criticizing somebody or grumbling about something they've done, or sharing some gossip, and that's heartfelt too. But in verse 10, James declares that this should not be. We should not be happy with the state of our heart when our words do not glorify God or honor the people he's made. And he uses examples from the natural world to show us that from fig trees to salt springs, a product is always consistent with its source. Fresh and salt water will never flow from the same spring. 
fresh water comes from one kind of source, salt water from another. And there's no such thing as a blended source that can produce both. If you want some fresh olives, you shouldn't be looking for them among the fig trees. Fig trees are for figs. And as carefully as you might look, you won't find raspberries on an apple tree or bananas in a potato field. The product always matches the source. And it's the same when it comes to the tongue. What we say is an issue precisely because it reflects what's going on underneath. The words we speak indicate the shape of our heart. And theologian Douglas Moo, who Adam referenced this morning, sums it up neatly. He says, bad things don't produce good things. And so a person who is not right with God or walking daily in his presence cannot consistently speak pure and helpful words. If you want to keep your tongue in check, you need a transformed heart. And a transformed heart comes from a transformed identity, which we can't do ourselves. But as we welcome God's truth as the defining reality of our lives, we are transformed. Our heart is changed because of our identity as a new creation in Jesus. God speaks truth over us. Yes, to shape us through challenge and to call us to live according to his will for our lives and according to our identity in Christ, but also to reshape us. God speaks truth over us when the words of others and the lies that we believe ourselves have made for a wonky structure, so to speak. He gives us a new identity. You are loved. You are chosen. You are wanted. You're designed. You're called by name. You belong. You're worth dying for. You are a new creation. When we speak God's truth over one another, God uses our words to communicate his words, to transform and to sanctify and to heal wounds, wounds which inevitably were caused by words in the first place. And as we take hold of this new identity, our hearts are transformed and our speech sounds much more like Jesus's, kind and edifying and encouraging. Telling people about Jesus and teaching them his way, speaking the truth of our identity and the love of God over one another is the greatest act of love and kindness we could ever offer to another. Words are powerful and the way that we use them is important. Let's be a church family who edify and encourage with our words, who speak with kindness and who declare God's truth over ourselves and over each other, allowing God to transform us into the fullness of the people we were created to be. Loved, chosen, designed, wanted, and called. And as the band come back up this evening, if you're anything like me, you've been listening to some words and you've been doing a lot of thinking and reflecting at the same time. And so as we sing this first song in response to God's word, I want to invite you to, to spend some more time there, to continue to reflect on some of the, the words that have been spoken over you, that have formed you, the words that you might have spoken, that might have wound, wounded somebody else. And invite God to point them out to you.
and to continue to speak to you as we respond to him.